Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How are you, Joe? I'm good. I'm back. Happy to be here. You're back. Um, this week, we're going to talk about the possibility of another Kardashian brand added to the Jens and Emma Greed empire, in addition to Skims and Good American. We'll also talk about Rolex buying Bucherer out of nowhere and what that's going to mean for luxury watches. Uh, and then finally, we'll talk about some of the shakeups happening at L'Envan. Uh, they had some earnings this week with some interesting data in there. But let's start with uh, Kylie Jenner. So according to both Page Six and Puck, both of which I trust with my life, um, Kylie Jenner is in the early stages of launching a quiet luxury brand. I put air quotes because that's how it was described, specifically as a quiet luxury brand. And apparently working with Jens Greed and Emma Greed, who are the executives who also helped launch Skims with Kim Kardashian and Good American with Khloe Kardashian, in addition to a bunch of other brands that they've got running like Frame, uh, the denim brand, and Brady with Tom Brady. They they just got a massive empire of like all these brands. So that's the rumor is that Kylie Jenner is going to launch her own brand uh, with them as well. But, let's start with you, Jill. What do you think of that? possibility and and what it means for the whole greed empire. Yes. They also have Safely with Kris Jenner. Oh, that's true. Yes. Home products. Clean. Anyway, they, they love those Kardashian Jenners. But I mean, the influence is there. Like you can't argue they're going to sell stuff. Uh, everybody wants to work with them. Kim Kardashian is on in the Marc Jacobs ads. And so anyway, they have actually fashion credibility. Um, it's only a matter of time, I'm sure, before Kendall Jenner has a fashion line because um, mm -hmm. it seems like everyone's doing it. But yeah, speculation. Everyone's speculating that it's a quiet luxury brand because uh, Kylie Jenner, starting in June when she kind of made a lap and made a bunch of appearances in Paris wearing uh, looks that could be are definitely considered quiet luxury. Uh, anyway, she got a lot of hype about that and it seemed like a new look for her. She's usually very sexy. Um, and if it is quiet luxury, obviously this is very <laughs> planned out. Um, mm -hmm. and she's also talked on the show about, um, like we need to set a good example. And, and it was all talking about like, um, I don't know, their makeup and their their surgeries and whatever they do. And like um, she was talking about being a good example. She's talked about like regretting her boob job and things like that. So anyway, it she's kind of in this vibe right now. And it, social media is weird because like we know her from when she was a kid or when she was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I think of her as like always sexy. We all dress differently when we were teens. Like I shopped mm -hmm. at the merry-go-round <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, like if I if I came out and people weren't following me closely like five years later and I was like very minimalist and this was just like the evolution of me. I just, this is what I started gravitating toward. Anyway, if people weren't following every move I make, they might be like, who are you kidding? <laughs> and that's kind of how yeah. I was with Kylie because I was like, this isn't her, but I'm not like her biggest follower, biggest fan, maybe this is her. Um, but it seemed kind of disingenuous and also timed with um, Sophia Ritchie, who herself is starting a quiet luxury label is the word on the street, which how many do we need? Anyway, I do think she, she's clearly starting something. TBD, if it's quiet luxury, it won't be fast fashion. 
Jens Greed is good for it. Uh, so we'll wait and see. Any, I haven't heard about when people are saying it's coming. Have you? No, I, I'm not sure either. So it, it could just be like early talks or it could be like much further along in development. I was going to say that, like you said, Jens Greed is good for it. I mean, Skims and Good American are both really successful. Skims is, you know, a $4 billion company or something. But I was just looking and Good American had like $200 million in sales last year. So it's like doing really hot as well. And then on Kylie's side, I mean, Kylie Cosmetics sold to Cody for like Six hundred million or something a couple of years ago. Uh, not the whole thing. I think she sold like a controlling stake uh, or whatever. And so, I think from both sides of it, I think this definitely has the makings of something successful. And they've made Skims into. Uh, I mean, like, I don't think of Skims as just like Kim's brand. You know, it's just uh, it. It has like kind of gone beyond that and has become really successful and. You know, people talk about the Skims dress all the time and stuff. They've had like viral products and um, they're able to, I think the mark of a successful celebrity brand is when they're able to not just like use the celebrity's name and face in all their marketing and still, and it still kind of works, you know, like she's been in Skims campaigns and stuff, Kim has, but not all of them. They do plenty of stuff without her. So that brand has definitely like done really well. Good American has done, is not quite as big, but has done super well. So when this happens, or if it does, I definitely think it's got a high likelihood that it is another big hit for them. Um, yes. One thing I asked you yesterday, yeah. and you were like, no, I don't really think there's any risk. But, you know, watching Kanye and his kind of fall off of, uh, anyway, he's canceled uh, in many people's eyes. And so, I mean, watching the Kardashians and Jenners, you feel like you know them and you feel like they're kind people. But if you're putting all your eggs in their basket, um, there I think there is some risk. And they are really building these empires around this family that I'm talking about, Jens and, and Emma Greed. Um, so we'll see. We were also talking about their Brady brand and what's happening, which you're writing about today, maybe. I'm writing um, something <laughs> about that today. Yeah, very interesting what's going on in the different parts of the, the Jens Greed empire. But um one final thing on quiet luxury, another thing I wrote about recently, um, definitely feels like there's a lot of interest in more brands in that kind of space. Um, but it definitely seems the dominant ones are all like these really established heritage kind of brands. Like I just wrote the other day about Brunello Cuccinelli, which I think is kind of uh, one of the couple brands that I would say are like iconic quiet luxury. I know people hate that term, but just for the sake of this conversation, you know, that and like Loro Piana and Bottega Veneta and stuff, those are all like brands that have been around for a while. And I think that's part of the, uh, what makes them quiet luxury is it's like you kind of, they've got a history attached to them. So I wonder about the ease with which you could start a new brand that's quiet luxury. I, I, I think it's possible. I'm sure there are some, you know, newer brands that would fall into that category. Um, that work, but it definitely seems to be dominated by these kind of older, old money sort of brands, you know? Um, yeah. So that's one area where I think there might be a little bit of a, a hitch for them. So I'll be curious to see when this brand actually launches, what the branding is like and um, how prominent the like Kardashian connection is, or if they just launch it as sort of just a normal brand and the, the Kylie component is just sort of, you know, one thing in the background instead of like the main thing. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking like, is there a go-to affordable, <laughs> my thought was like affordable, quiet luxury brand, but like what makes it 
quiet luxury is luxury. That's so like, I was that's, like you're adding that. too many adjectives now. If it's affordable <laughs> and quiet and luxury, it's like okay, I don't think this even exists. This doesn't anymore. exist. All I was thinking about is brands that make basics. Like I was like, is Uniqlo one? No. Is Theory one? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Then we're stretching the definition like way too much. To <laughs> I know. I know, but really, I also came to the Zara brand. Um, Massimo Duty or something like that. Anyway, I'm a fan of it. Mm. And it, to me, it has like this quiet luxury look, but clearly it's way more affordable and it's not, not luxury. So yeah, interesting how you kind of strike that balance between yeah. appealing to Kylie's audience and getting the look right, I guess. What, yeah, definitely. It's weird. Anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on and talk about Rolex. So this is a story that I think if you are a little bit outside the world of high-end watches maybe doesn't sound like that big a deal, but if you are into it, it's like kind of insane. Um, so just randomly sort of out of the blue, Rolex uh, announced that they had bought Bucherer. Um, Bucherer is like the, I think it's one of, if not the largest watch retailer in the world. Um, the announcement, I don't think, I hadn't heard any rumors of it or saw anything about it beforehand. It totally just was out of nowhere. And it was announced kind of like end of the day, end of the week, just like news dump sort of way. Um, but it's crazy. I mean, it's one of the biggest watch brands in the world buying one of the biggest watch retailers in the world. It's like if Nike just randomly bought Foot Locker or something, or if, if Louis Vuitton just bought Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, Rolex has never really had a big retail, owned retail presence. They, I think they have one store that they own in Geneva and everything else has just been through their authorized dealers, which includes Booker. Um, and so kind of overnight, they went from having almost no retail presence of their own to owning this giant watch retailer that's known all over the world. And so it's just like crazy. All the watch blogs and watch people that I follow are all sort of like, uh, what does this mean? Everyone's kind of, you know, freaking. I think Hodinkee was like, um, we're, we're still trying to figure out what this even means for the future. And so, I'm not sure what Rolex will do. I imagine that they'll probably just, Booker will probably just keep running as it is. It'll sell Rolex and other brands the way it does. I I don't know if they're going to make drastic changes right away, but we'll see. What What are your thoughts, Joe? Uh, yeah, you're right. The largest watch retailer, the largest leading watch brand. So when they come together, it, there was a lot of news about watches of Switzerland, a Bucherer um, competitor, and how their uh, stocks tanked that day, like the <laughs> low went lowest in the, in history the history of the company. Yeah. Um, and the the talk is by Rolex, you know, nothing's going to change. Uh, we'll continue selling through all of the other retailers that we sell through now, the authorized retailers, and also um, what. I don't know. Oh, and yeah, anyway, they'll operate independently, uh, Bucherer. We're mm -hmm. not going to like take over. Um, and that's what Watches of Switzerland was saying to like appease their investors. Like, oh, Rolex is saying nothing's going to change, but someone's going to change. I, I mean, how can you oh, trust yeah. that? I, there's no doubt. So uh, we'll see well, how this goes. Go ahead. I, I was going to say for them, it's like, you know, if they're appeasing their investors by saying nothing's going to change except our biggest competitor now has the backing of the biggest brand in our whole category. It's like, even if nothing changes operationally, it is like, you know, our opponent just started taking steroids. Like that's, that's kind of, there is definitely, you know, some threat there to them. But yeah, it's really interesting. Another interesting thing for me is that Rolex, so Rolex owns another watch brand called Tudor, which is just a little bit less pricey 
than Rolex. And then Booker also owns another retailer called Tourneau, um, which I think is US-based or mostly US-based. So this is also kind of Rolex becoming more of a portfolio company. Now they've got three um, other companies sort of under them, Tudor, uh, Booker, and Tourneau. And maybe there's others in there as well. But um, I could see them sort of transforming a little bit into like a group and not just a brand, um, which, you know, I think that's very interesting. A mega group. You're so right. And like you said, this gives Rolex a presence in consumer sales, retail, I think for the first time. And also they're newly like playing in certified pre-owned like resale um, as of Mm -hmm. May um, officially. So, I mean, they're modernizing, I would say. They're coming down to earth. Um, And this will have a big impact on the, the watch industry, which is definitely in this kind of transition, hot, 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 resale and retail. Um, mm-hmm. And now we know that resale is slowing and some things are changing. Uh, anyway. it's Yeah, it is. It's such an interesting space right now. There's been such a huge boom in demand for luxury watches in the last couple of years. Um, but because so much of the industry runs on resale, like secondhand watches are so much, uh, are such a bigger part of the landscape than in other categories. Um, It's done really wonky things to the supply and demand of watches. Like watch prices are really low on the resale market. Um, And even from like Rolex and Patek Philippe and stuff, they're lower than they've been in the last couple of years. Partially, not because there's not demand, there's a ton of demand, but there's also a ton of supply. Like because of the demand, everyone's trying to sell their watches and stuff. And there's more players, like there's more watch brands coming out and there's more watch resellers. And I get pitched all the time about new, you know, luxury watch startup resale places like like wrist check or bezel, like coming up all the time. And there's even like, you know, we talked a while ago about Louis Vuitton kind of reducing the number of like watch models that they sell down to only a handful, I think less than 10, and then increasing the prices, very clearly trying to move into sort of the Rolex space. So you've got big players like LVMH looking to get into it. You've got all these like startups coming into it. It's a really active space. Um, And then like you said, Rolex themselves have been doing all sorts of um, new stuff. They've been getting into certified pre-owned for the first time. They are now buying Booker, which again is, if you're in the watch space, is like crazy. Everyone in watches that I follow is, was kind of like talking about it and wondering what it's going to mean. So anyway, w- obviously something we're going to yeah. keep watching and talking about, and I will probably be writing about it in the future. Definitely. Like you said, it, they just formed this mega empire. Like nobody knows the financials of either. They're not, be, they're not being forthcoming about what the deal entailed. And the way that I think it's George Bucherer, the 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 owner, the chairman of the company, was is so it's just so downplayed. It's just like, oh, I'm the last, I'm the third generation in the family. I don't have any descendants. They wanted it, they got it. It wasn't like strategic. <laughs> it's kind of how it's like how it's being positioned. Um, yeah, so. like not that big a deal. NBD, <laughs> we'll we'll be watching. You'll be you'll be covering. I'm sure. Yeah, I definitely will. Um, okay, let's talk about Lanvin. Um, Lanvin Group had their earnings this week and had some really interesting numbers. So revenue for the whole group, which includes, I think, five or six brands, was up by like 6%. Um, 
I think up $235 million or something, but the actual brand itself, Lanvon, took like a serious nosedive. Every other brand in the group was up except Lanvon. I think their sales for the brand were down 11%. And then every other brand, I think Wolford was up 8%, St. John was up 11%, Sergio Rossi 22%, and Caruso was up 33%. So all of their brands are growing except for sort of the flagship. Um, I've got some notes here about different causes and possibilities and what's going on over there. But Joe, why don't you start? What's What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they talked about it a bit. They're in a transition with uh, creative directors, which I saw mm -hmm. coming. When they went public, I was yeah. there and there was talk with- Yeah, you were at the uh, the ringing the bell on the stock exchange floor, right? When they Totally. I talked to that was everybody. Last year? Mm -hmm. I talked to everybody. I talked to like the CEO of all of their companies and, and just got the scoop about where they're going. Uh, they talked a lot about attracting young shoppers and expansion in the U.S. and China because a lot of the customers, their audience is, for Landbond specifically, is uh, Middle East and Europe. Um, but what was I going to say? There, I knew <laughs> their, their creative director, Bruno Cialelli, Cialelli, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Was on his way out, and I just kept like digging and, and like trying to get the story before it came out because every time there was like Land Vaughn news, he wasn't mentioned. And when I was out on site, yeah. it was kind of alluded to that we're going to have some big changes on the creative front, and I and it just was really quiet on that <laughs> in terms of what Bruno was even posting, and I I just couldn't get it. But yeah, it eventually happened. They moved to this. Lanvon Lab concept, which will, mm -hmm. I'm sure is, we'll talk about. This is wild. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they talked about investing in that area. Then um, on the earnings, they talked about that. Um, yeah. And this was big. They're also launching like leather goods, accessories, which the brand doesn't have a big, pre a big presence in this space, which a lot of uh, luxury brands really lean into, lean on. Um, and what else were they up to? Anyway, those were kind of the big, the big points, standout points to me. Yeah. And I think that the timeline is interesting. So if I remember this correctly, it's they went public in December of last year or like end of the year. And then Bruno Cialelli left in like April. So they lost their creative director, you know, only a couple of months after going public, which I think is not great. Um, interesting that you said you kind of suspected that and kind of knew it was coming. Um, I wonder if they if that was something they talked about holding off on the IPO or what, I don't know. I know going public is a huge thing, so there's probably a million factors, but definitely not a great look to lose their creative director right after going public. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the Lanvon Lab kind of model where they bring in a rotating series of collaborators. I think the first one is Future, the rapper. Um, I think that's interesting, but I don't think it's good long-term um, because... I, when I think of the luxury brands that really kind of have taken off or really made an impact, it's when they have a specific cohesive vision from like a specific person like Virgil or Phoebe Philo or, you know, Pharrell even, um, Alessandra Michele, like people who you kind of associate with the brand and they have this specific aesthetic that is tied to them. I don't think a brand that's just got a rotating group of, you know, random People, even if they're cool, you know, smart, like interesting people, I just don't think it's a good way to build a 
reputation um, the way that those other brands, those other designers I just mentioned did. So I, I was wondering though, if you think that that might be a little bit of a tryout kind of thing, if they bring in these, you know, a different collaborator for a couple months at a time, do a collection or two with each. And then after a year or two, they'd like pick one of them or at least try to like, what if future just became the actual creative director, you know, in a year's time, who knows, that could be a, an interesting way to do it. I don't know if they'll go that way, but that was my thought. That's interesting. And maybe that isn't even their plan, but they find that like futures clothes are hot. Mm-hmm. What do we do with future? Um, yeah, it, we all kind of, it was, we, it was all happened and was announced at the same time, like Pharrell became the men's fashion director of Louis Vuitton. And then Lynn Vaughn brought on future and you're like, okay, copycat. <laughs> like it was kind of like, we get it. Like somebody that's hot in pop culture might drive sales. Uh, we're talking about this with Kylie Jenner. So anyway, it was like an eye roll. And then, but immediately looking at the uh, earnings, I was like, future ain't working, but future has not yet come out, come out with a collection. It's like, this will happen in fall. So we can't blame it on anything happening there. Um, but he did wear a look like two months ago at a music festival that like people liked. Um, and they're like, is this a sneak peek of his collection and what he's going to be making? Mm. Um, so it got good reviews. But what Lanvon is saying is that they're going to hire a permanent artistic director, creative director, and that Lanvon Lab will kind of exist in, alongside of them and they'll work collaboratively. Um, but yeah, I'll be interested to see who they pick next. If it will always be some cool musician, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and one other thing is that I kind of read about them is that they've been pushing a lot into the U.S. and China recently. They just opened this big store and on Madison Avenue, um, but I feel like both of those markets are kind of difficult for luxury right now because on the U.S. side, there's you know not a lot of spending across you know all categories, and, and luxury I think is better off, but still not immune to that. And then in China, China's just like super competitive and every luxury brand wants to be there. So those are both really difficult markets for them to kind of expand into. And mo I think most of their sales are Europe and the Middle East um, and US and China are below that, but they're trying to kind of expand there. So who knows uh, if they will be able to. Yes, we'll see. They did something right, Lanvon Group with in my eyes, with Wolford as of February, they brought in a new uh, creative director, I think is his title, um, and formerly of Isimiyaki, Gucci, Donna Karen, Jill Sander, like Calvin Klein, all of these amazing, um, this amazing experience. And anyway, his name's now Taki Koshi, I believe, but um, I spoke to him for a story. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I've been seeing it more. They're doing more influencer partnerships and seeing people um, try on this kind of iconic dress that you can wear six six ways. So anyway, they're out there and doing more. I feel like Skims gets a lot of their ideas from Wolford with the kind of bodycon um, pieces. So anyway, it's kind yeah. of an OG Skims. So good potential there. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Um, let's wrap it up there. Jill, thank you so much for doing this with me. It's always so fun. Um, for those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. That really helps us out a lot. Also, don't forget to subscribe to The Glossy Podcast because you will hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday. 
and we can review episodes with me and Jill and sometimes me and other members of the Glossy team every Friday. Um, Jill, do we know who our next uh, guest is for the Glossy podcast? We do. Uh, We'll have on Marcia Kilgore, who is this serial entrepreneur. We talked about her uh, footwear brand because we're a fashion podcast and it's called Fit Flop, but she's also founded, I mean, all of these brands, Bliss Spa, um, Soap and Glory. She's got a list of beauty brands, so she just keeps <laughs> keeps going, keeps building. They're all successful. She's amazing. Check it out. Yeah, well, check that out on Wednesday of next week. And until then, thank you for listening. Thank you.